When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar and Judd Zolgad here with you. Judd, how are you? I am very good. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Just finished up another day of practice and was really focused on guys' technique today. That was what was big for me. Just how technique, were, technique, technique. How fluid were they? How were their hips? How was their uh, drive, the footwork, things like that? I mean, on a team level, from uh, that aspect of things, Judd, I thought the fluidness of the hips were was spectacular, just overall. <laughs> See, that's good to hear. Yeah. That's what's this time of year, as we get in, <laughs> as we get closer and closer, you you need the fluidity. That's what you need. I always wonder how people who don't cover the NFL for a job, like how they're feeling about football right now. Like, are they thinking, man, I just can't wait? Or are they, well, football's kind of the sign of summer being over, and I guess we'll just wait and see, and I'll get excited then. Because for me... I just need a real football game to happen. I mean, there's just the, the whole preseason thing. It just goes on so long. Training camp and practice after practice after practice. It's like, I want to write about a real football game, please. I told you the Zolgad plan. Training camp can't start till August 1st or after. And, uh, and two or three preseason games at, at most, as we talked about on the show a few days ago. But this four preseason games and training camp, there is no... Why do you need to start training camp in July when you basically have off-season off camps that, you know, you start weightlifting in April? You, you could condense this thing quite a bit, and I think you wouldn't – not only do I think you wouldn't get more people hurt, I think you'd keep more people healthy, and it would be simpler. You know what's crazy is that the coaches are upset that they don't get enough practice time, and I can't believe how much practice time – they have leading up to these games and they want well and i mean zim wants press coverage in may so uh, uh, yeah he wishes that they could have pads on and hitting each other every day probably 365 days a year um that would, it, would be his goal it was funny to me that he sat there and talked about how he wasn't going to play his starters as much and then had them playing into the second quarter of the last game is like uh, NFL coaches are going to be NFL coaches forever. The one, one thing though, before we talk about this Sam Bradford ranking on ESPN, and then uh, we've got a lot of stuff on the game as well. That's coming up this yep. Sunday. 
I, I we talked about this on the show, and I'm going to stick with it. That I like the idea of killing two preseason games, making them regular season games, giving teams an extra bye week, and just starting the last week of uh, of summertime. I mean, just starting in August now, the NFL season. I think everybody's ready for it. I think the injuries are always brought up, but you've got starters out there playing into the third quarter that this for the third preseason game. So there's just as much risk that guys are going to get hurt. Why not make these games count? I think you're absolutely crazy, Collar. I'm telling you 16 games. The NFL is the only league that I think has it exactly right. Baseball season would be better at 154 with their playoffs now because their playoffs go because the world series ends in on November 3rd. NHL is too long. NBA the one league that has it right, 16 games. The owners, listen, if if you want, if the owners want to do what's good for their sport, which they don't, of course, because they, they want to generate more money, but if they want to do what's good for their sport, let's go 16 games, two preseason games, do away with two games completely, bite the bullet. But I think the 16-game season is absolutely perfect. Well, I agree with you on getting rid of the preseason games. I just see that as completely unrealistic. And so if they're never going to do that, then why not make these games count? And, I mean, the, the fact that people are paying the same amount of money for a preseason ticket, the, the season ticket holders are, the fact that they're paying the same amount of money for a preseason ticket as they are Week 16, to me, if the, the, nothing really changes from that, uh, from the money, then these should just count. And and maybe the players, over, yes. yeah, I mean, maybe yeah. the, the players would be against it because if it isn't actually going to earn you a lot more money, then right. they're not going to get paid a whole lot more for the two extra games. So, you know, I, I don't know how that would all work logistically. I just think from a uh, fan media viewpoint, it's yep. like I would really like these games to just count and get started now or because I just don't see them ever saying, oh, yeah, we're just going to kill those two gates and lose a bunch of money. Right. How I mean, about, that's not going to happen. How about, let's start with this. Let's just start with the fact that training camp does not need to start in July. Let's just start with August 1st. Yeah. Well, I just I just think this week of July now when you have when, as, as I said, when you Start lifting weights so guys get back in the building in April, and then you have OTAs in May and a mini camp in June, and you basically do installation and classroom work. This whole thing of bringing guys back at any point and give them all of July off, entire month off. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think that would probably be fine considering that right now everyone is ready to play. I think every mm-hmm. team is ready to play, and this game will be fun for the fans who show up. I, I feel like a preseason atmosphere is a little different. It's kind of an an enjoyable, more relaxed for fans to to show up, or maybe people that can't afford a regular season ticket get a chance to see the team for fifteen bucks. My parents are coming to town; they're driving from Buffalo to here because they don't fly. So they're that's one. I, yeah, I know. Are don't, they John Madden? Are they Madden? I know. I don't know. Don't ask me. I, I said, you know, the flight's not that expensive, right? From Buffalo to Minnesota. No, we'd rather drive across the country for sixteen hours or whatever it takes. I. <laughs> I don't I don't get that, but that's what they're doing. And they're coming into town, and one of the things they're doing is going to the preseason game. And there's no way that they would be able to afford, you know, such a long trip to afford a regular season ticket to one of those games. So it's a nice opportunity for some people to see the team. I, I guess sure. I, I'm cool with that part of it, because if you uh, make it the regular season, then there won't be secondary market tickets that are 15 bucks. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, any way to make this thing start sooner 
or to have less of the senseless practices because we've gotten to the point where we've interviewed everybody twice. And oh, it's yeah. like, okay, this is my second Jaleel Johnson interview, and he had a nice game the other day, but c- come on. What makes no sense to me, though, is is training camp used to start, let's say, mid-July because guys would come in and they'd be fat, right? I mean, they would right. take care of themselves. They would, they would use training camp to lose weight and get in shape. How many guys show up fat now? Yeah, I mean, none. You, That's going to be zero. They're in shape. And so, and, and this doesn't mean that they're super skinny people, but, I mean, you are, you are basically, you need, if you were to be realistic completely, and somebody said, said to you, a collar, how long do NFL players, after all the off-season conditioning that they do, need to get in shape for games? What, two and a half weeks maybe to yeah. play a game? Yeah. Two weeks? So, yeah, this whole, it, it's just the the NFL, like so many sports, seems to hold us near and dear to, well, we've always done it this way. We've always had, tra- well, yeah, you, you, but things have changed. The players have changed. And if we can get guys, the quicker that we can get to games and stop getting guys hurt in practices or preseason games, the better. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. I don't, I, and I think that it will be something that is addressed, but I don't know how soon it will be. We might have to wait till the next CBA and the next uh, lockout or what, whatever ends up happening until well, we finally get there. But um, so there was this article that uh, Mike Sando does every year, and he put it put it out again this year, where mm-hmm. he talks to a ton of coaches, executives, et cetera, et cetera in the NFL and has them rank every quarterback in what tier they belong in, tier one, two, three, four, right? Mm -hmm. And so Sam Bradford ends up ranking 23rd among all quarterbacks and ends up in the third tier. Mm -hmm. Uh, What was your reaction to that, Jed? Uh, The tier I thought on Bradford was actually very fair. Uh, The 23rd surprised me, though, uh, because it went, so tier three was uh, 12 players. Dak Prescott starting at 14, Flacco at 15, Carson Palmer and Mary Oda were tied at 16, Jameis Winston at 18, which surprised me a little bit, Andy Dalton at 19, but then at 20 you got to Alex Smith, 21 Carson Wentz, 22 Tannehill, and 23 Bradford. So I I actually thought that the tier Bradford in was incredibly fair, Uh, but when you're behind Dalton to a certain degree, but Alex Smith and Tannehill – that surprised me the most, and he was only ahead of in Tier 3, uh, Jake Cutler and Tyrod Taylor. So, Tier was fair. Uh, Bradford, 23, surprised me. But, Collar, this gets back to what we've been saying all along, which is it's amazing to me the more you think about it. It's incredible to me that, that Sam Bradford, a top overall pick in the draft, missed one year, but he's what now, seven years into his uh, pro career or so, mm-hmm. that, we st- that we still, and he's on his third team, that we still know so little about this guy. And, you know, ordinarily by now, you can definitively say bust, okay quarterback, you know, not great, or, but, I mean, how many times, how many quarterbacks who were drafted as high as Bradford do we get this far into their career and legitimately say 2017 is going to tell us because we don't know. That's the thing that I keep coming back to. And I think deep in our heart of hearts, we all fear that he's just not that good, but we definitely don't think that that we know the answer if he was three or four years in i'd say that's not surprising i guess but this far in that's the surprising thing to me i think i know most of the answer but maybe not all of it and Mm -hmm. i think that that's probably how miami dolphins fans feel about ryan Tannehill and him not playing this year 
and them having to bring in Jay Cutler, it was like they missed their opportunity to find out for sure on Ryan Tannehill too because they've been building up that offense in Miami. They had a bad offensive line last year, and Tannehill still had a pretty good year. I think he was over eight yards per attempt or somewhere in that range, and you know they got into the playoffs. So maybe people there were feeling like, boy, we've drafted wide receivers and we've improved our offensive line and whatever, whatever. And yet we still aren't going to be 100% sure on him. And I, and I feel like that's the same way that Minnesota Vikings fans are looking at Sam Bradford is that like the Dolphins, uh, Bradford has had bad situations all the way through his career. And he's finally had halfway decent situations in Philadelphia and then in Minnesota last year. It was not. I think it's overstated how bad of a situation it was. The offensive line was bad, but you also had two really good wide receivers. And so I, I think there was some balancing out there. But, you know, he had to show up with 10 days left to go before the season started. Yes. He had to yep. adjust to an offensive coordinator just calling it quits in the middle of the season. You know, he took a lot of punishment, too, with uh, a, lot, a lot of hits allowed by <clears throat> a certain left tackle that I don't think is going to make the team now. I mean, how about that? If a guy starts, I think he is started. He guard court, now? Uh, he's 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 going to be a nothing. Or what is he? I think he's going to be a nothing because he <laughs> didn't even play in the last preseason game. I mean, that if you're not getting, you know, who else doesn't get in the games is like Moritz Boehringer. Yeah, oh, no, TJ Clemmings not good. Yeah, he's not, I mean, he's well, just, right, but but how about a guy who who goes from starting like thirteen or fourteen games to not making the team the next year? I mean, well, that's, and, that's a pretty incredible fall. But you know what? You know what? In defense, I'm going to defend TJ Clemmings here, the poor guy. I'm going to get, I'm going to defend it by saying this: a couple of years ago, Bodhol goes down, and Clemmings started the entire season at right tackle. Now, TJ Clemmings is a guy who I believe, if you go back three or four years, was playing defensive line at Pitt, right? Mm-hmm. The Minnesota Vikings, what they did to TJ Clemmings' career is damn near criminal. It really is. I mean, they took this guy. This guy was drafted in the fourth round, I believe, as sort of a project, which is more than fair. Okay, he gets forced to play right tackle, which is not an easy position, but certainly can be played. And he starts all year, and he's not fantastic, but he he holds up there. And then last year, you go into a complete panic and and, and move him to left tackle. If T.J. Clemmings uh, ends up being cut and his career is essentially done, the Minnesota Vikings are culpable as much as anybody, including Clemmings, for ruining his career because what they did to him and what they asked of, of him and to put him back at left tackle after they blatantly knew, I mean, we all knew, my dog knew he couldn't play that spot, <laughs> is criminal. That is, they, what the Vikings did to T.J. Clemmings is very unfair, I believe. And it's pretty clear that he should have been maybe a practice squad guy or all the way at the bottom of the depth chart to not have to be put back in. Uh, the fact that he was put in last year to play as many games as he did, it just, how did you get there? I mean, I know that they had guys get hurt, but to get to that point where you're having to play him uh, at left tackle for most of the season, it just, yeah, I agree with you that, yes, it's fine to draft a project, but when it's, I don't know, it's a a hard position because when you draft him in the fourth round, if you cut him and put him on the practice squad, there's a chance you lose him, but they didn't lose Willie Beavers when they did the same thing to him. Uh, last year so who actually give Willie Beavers credit he's been better and I think he's got a a chance to to make the team but 
going back to what we were on with Sam Bradford and yeah. where he ranks. Sorry about that. I digress. I, no, that's okay. Uh, but I, he, his situation was debatable. I mean, yes, the offensive line was really poor, but I, I yep. think there's some of it that was overstated, or maybe I would put it this way: shortcomings were ignored because he always had that excuse. Even if the excuse is correct, it doesn't mean that he did everything right all the time. The offensive mm-hmm. line was bad, but he wasn't the only quarterback with a bad offensive line. And there were plenty of times where he got skittish within the pocket and threw the ball far too early or wouldn't take risks and on and on all the things that have been an issue through his entire career. We've talked at length about the third downs, the big situations, which, <laughs> by the way, every time Mike Zimmer talks about opposing quarterbacks being good, he always says the really good ones are in big situations. And that's what we're looking for from Sam Bradford this year. That's going to be the difference maker, and I don't know that uh, just improving some of his situation is going to turn him into a big-time third-down quarterback. I I think that third tier is fine and can make the playoffs. We've seen those other guys that you named do it. Cutler has been in the playoffs. Uh, Tannehill has, and so has Andy Dalton a number of times. So has Alex Smith, but they've always had a lot to work with around him. And I think if you're going to compare Delvin Cook to one player – for who he could be, what type of player? I think it's yep. I think it's Jamal Charles is the guy that I would compare him to because I think he's he's a do it all back like Jamal Charles, and for a long time Charles was the one that helped that team be competitive. Uh, my question about Bradford uh, for this year is, is this as well: Is he going to be willing to take some chances and and as the football people like to say, drive the ball down the field because he's got the ability. I mean. Collar, we saw him make passes last year at times that were beautiful. I mean, he made some really nice passes. But whether it was because he didn't trust his line or he didn't trust the offense or what, the issue wasn't he couldn't make the throws. The issue was he appeared hesitant and afraid to make the throws. And if that continues now, and I guess the question becomes this, was that a product of what he thought he was working with, or is that a product of his mentality? And if the answer is it's part of his mentality, you've got a problem. So I just think the Vikings have given him or are giving him a very good chance to succeed. The only the only thing we're getting back to, though, is once again because of guys being hurt and, and competition to a lesser degree is the line. And how soon are we going to see the offensive line actually put together and be complete? But I'm just really interested to see if Bradford now uh, with uh, Shermer here, and that's his guy as far as an OSC goes, if he is going to be willing to make the throws he should, or if we're still going to see a guy who, I don't want to call him the yips, but it does seem like there's a mental, or it seemed like there was a mental block there about, I can't make a mistake and you don't want your quarterback to be irresponsible, but he can't be scared either. The one thing I'm looking for is can he get 10-yard throws? Can he throw the ball 15 yards on, sure. say, like a little seam route to the tight end? This is, There's a play, it was talked about a lot, how the two deep safeties kind of drove them nuts last year. They couldn't figure out when teams would play two deep safeties that he would always end up dumping off and going underneath. And so there's a play that teams use all the time when they're facing the two deep safeties where they take the tight end, have them run a little seam route in between where the linebackers are and where the safeties are. It's a very standard play. You see it all the time. Obviously, Rob Gronkowski does this. 
and that's a play that can kind of back teams off a little bit when it comes to that, right? When it comes to having those safeties over the top to guard against the deep balls. And that sure. it's like a guaranteed, if you can execute it, it's a usually a tough throw, but this quarterback can make it. It's like a guaranteed 10, 12 yards every time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's the type of play that they just were not executing last year, either not trying, not making that throw. And, and that's where he's got to improve. Where Teddy Bridgewater was really good and why I respected his game as a much better quarterback, I would have Teddy Bridgewater second tier if we were doing this. I, I would put him above those types of players. I think he's better than Alex Smith, better than Andy Dalton. In part, because if you look at his numbers when he was throwing between 10 and 20 yards, which to me are the types of throws that you win with, because they just drive you down the field. You can pick up 30, 40 yards on a couple of completions mm-hmm. instead of having to rely on one or two deep balls a game. You just can only throw the ball, launch it down the field so many times. You don't get that many opportunities, but you do get tons of opportunities to throw at 15 yards. And Bridgewater's numbers between 10 and 20 yards were among the best in the league, and Bradford's last year were pretty poor. So I'm looking for him to execute that better. Now, I don't know if he actually will. I think if you got the same numbers out of Sam Bradford as you got last year, high completion percentage, lots of short passes, some brilliant deep balls, I think you can make the playoffs because everything else is better. Because instead of being the worst running team in the league, you are a much better running team. And I also think that if you're talking about dumping off now to Delvin Cook or using a little more creativity with Jarek McKinnon, I think you could pick up a lot more yards than with Matt Asiata in the backfield. How creative do you think that this offense is going to be? Yeah, that's a great question. And it, it's, it's, it's my favorite question to think about, Judd. I did a piece the other day on the different ways that they could use Kyle Rudolph. And, yes. I mean, man, you look at what Atlanta did last year. It's not They have a ton of talent, and they have a better quarterback by a lot than Sam Bradford. But mm-hmm. Kyle Shanahan is a freaking genius. I mean, they threw 40 passes out of three tight end sets and had a perfect quarterback rating when they did it. I mean, he's loading up with tight ends, three tight ends in at the same time, and doing play action in many different ways all over the field. If Shermer could just pick and choose from some of these things, I didn't see a whole lot of creativity there last year, Judd, from from Shermer. And the difficult thing there was Bradford came in late. He came into an offense that certainly had some Shermer influence, but was Norv's baby a little bit more. Norv quits. Shermer then gets in. The, I mean, the whole thing, it, it's impo- unless you actually got the, gave the Vikings truth serum, collar. it's impossible to know um, exactly who did what when and who told whom what, right? So, so what we do know is that we're now dealing with months and months of Bradford and Shermer being able to sit down uh, for the third time and scheme together. So, but, but, and I'm not, I'm not even asking for Shermer to go off the charts, create creativity, but I mean, here's a perfect one. Okay. The Vikings claim that there's a, uh, there's potential to use a fullback in this offense. All right. Latavius Murray, we know, is a very good blocker, right? And mm-hmm. he's certainly, and he's almost certainly in his one and only season here. I don't think he's going to stick around. I don't think. I think his contract basically easily allows the team to cut him, and Cook is going to become their, their top guy. But what if for this year, instead of forcing it and saying we need an H back or a fullback, what if once in a while you got creative and had 
Murray and Cook on the field at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's things like that. And that's not going with this, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they're doing this. But it's going with two running backs who who both have their strengths and getting somewhat creative. My fear with football people is lots of times you get a lot of these guys who are like, well, we can't do that. And the question becomes why? And essentially the answer is because I wasn't prepared to do it. So it's just little stuff like that. And, and as you talked about, the packages and the personnel. And I don't know Shermer's system or his thought process well enough to know if he would take that step. But if they do, I think you give yourself the real chance to be a pain in the butt for, for defenses, and that's a smart move. You know what I'd love to see is all three running backs on the field at the same time. You could do it. Jarek McKinnon in the slot, the two running yes. backs in the backfield. You could motion somebody in and somebody out and have yep. all sorts of options with that and still have uh, Thielen and Diggs on the field at the same time. 92% of snaps Kyle Rudolph took last year. That is not necessary. I, I mean, Rudolph, I think, can be more effective than he was last year, yep. but effective yep. is the key. I don't need him getting more than 80 catches. I need him getting like 50 catches to be at his best and having those mean more than they did last year than just the dump down option because he can't make a play after he gets the ball in his hands. So if you have the, if him is just a dump down option, the, the play ends wherever he catches it. How capable, how capable color do you think he is? Because he's got, I think we look at the size and the statistics and say, oh, that's the Vikings Gronk, right? We say that, but it's not accurate. How much do you, how realistically how much can he bring to this offense if if used correctly and where does his skill set sort of end? Well, yeah, compared to Gronk, he's nowhere close. And right. the same thing goes for guys like Travis Kelsey, Greg Olson. You look at their measurables, and they're just as big, but they're much faster, and or maybe a little lighter than he is, but a lot faster. Greg Olson runs a four five. So, like, yeah, that's that's a big tight end, but he is stupendously fast and a better athlete. Um, where I think Kyle, Kyle Rudolph could be successful in a few areas. One is if they use him for things like play action, where they can you know, make it look like it's going to be a run and sort of sneak him out and get him in space a little bit. That's what uh, Kyle Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan did not have a ton of tight end talent with the Atlanta Falcons last year. Guys you never heard of, Austin Hooper, Jacob Tammy's been around, but he's, like, really old. <laughs> and, and, and yet he was very effective with it. So using him in play action to get him in space a little bit or down the field a little bit is a pretty good plan. And I do think if you can find ways to match him up against cornerbacks off the line of scrimmage, mm-hmm. then you've got a chance, too. I think last year they felt they needed to keep him in just because the offensive line was so bad. But yes. this year, if at least Remmers and Reef can hold up a little bit, maybe you can, because I was watching Martellus Bennett. I went back and watched a couple of the games where Martellus Bennett had a lot of success with the Patriots, which, by the way, he's going to be unbelievable with the Packers, I think. Uh, oh, yeah. Him and Aaron Rodgers yeah. together. He's going to be he a nightmare. Will. But he's, he's the same size and speed, basically, as Kyle Rudolph. And what they would do is they would shift him out sometimes where a cornerback in dime coverage or nickel coverage has to match up with him, and then they would just throw it up for him to go get it. And Bradford can make those throws where he could put it in a spot where it's just win a battle against someone much smaller than you. 
I think if they do that, then you can get a few more down the field plays. And again, I only mean 10, 15 yards down the field or in the red zone. I, I think maybe where Rudolph last year was just like the emergency pull the shoot option. This year they can scheme to use his size more effectively. But no, I mean, it's not a Gronk situation, but I think last year you're kind of like, okay, if the ball's not going to Thielen or Diggs, it's basically got to go to him because they weren't ever scheming anything for Jarek McKinnon, which I think was a mistake. McKinnon was used as a check down option too. And like, gosh, that guy's more talented than that, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe, Mm -hmm. but maybe, maybe you can find with more talent, Michael Floyd is going to be in the mix as well eventually that you can scheme him 40 or 50 catches that are more effective plays than having him catch 80 and he's got one of the lowest uh, average uh, yards per uh, target in the league, which he did last year. I go back to the uh, the McKinnon play that stood out to me that I didn't understand why they didn't use it more. Do you remember the Thanksgiving Day game in Detroit where he ripped off like a 40-yard? He caught a pass. It, it was not that long a pass, but he caught it and took off. That's the type of things he, he can do. And I I don't understand, and I think part of this goes back to the whole thing that Norv got here, and Norv was basically told that this is, is Peterson's offense, and when Peterson was lost, they sort of panicked or, or whatever last year. But, I mean, that day in Detroit on that play, Jared McKinnon has intangibles, and he's a good player. That doesn't mean he's your lead back because he's not that big, but – to go away from him like they did didn't make sense. And what, what was really frustrating was they had uh, a couple of years of tape and a couple of years to say, okay, this guy can do some things. And so to all of a sudden sort of pull the plug was silly. And, and I do think, uh, you know, we, we can joke about it or not, but the, the Peterson being gone factor is important mm-hmm. in the fact that no, this team it no longer feels it has to serve one player. This team now can serve the quarterback to a large degree, but he can distribute the ball as opposed to saying, okay, we want our quarterback to be successful, but we've got to keep 28 happy. Well, with that factor now being gone, it becomes a lot simpler for Bradford and Shermer to sit down and scheme and say, all right, how can we actually spread the ball around as opposed to being concerned that, that when we get to Monday, for instance, Peterson's going to barge into Zim's office and complain. So I do think that that's an important step to take not to have a running back now who's a focal point who you're actually concerned about being mad at that he didn't get used enough. There's another point, too, with McKinnon that last year the offensive line that they had couldn't move. Like, not only could they not protect, they couldn't move. This is a problem when you can't move when you're an offensive line. Yes. If you look at the better <laughs> offensive lines and what they do in the screen game, they oh, get yeah. they get out and they yep. wreak havoc. Uh, uh, at the now, I'll go full football for you, Judd. The second level. Oh, it's they, important to be at the second level. Man. But but really, I mean, if you've got if you've got guards and centers, this would be one of the benefits of potentially uh, using Pat Elfline and Nick Easton at the same time. Would be mm-hmm. that both of them can move, and uh, Elfline is a really good athlete. Well, he might end up playing guard, and uh, I mean, I, I think Berger probably starts the season. But if Berger gets hurt or he is uh, not as effective as he was last year, you mm-hmm. could have a guy who's a real athlete getting out there as a guard in the screen game, and otherwise, you know, you couldn't do that quite as effectively. So there were some things holding it back. But if if we're talking about Bradford, like all of this is through the lens of Sam Bradford. 
and mm-hmm. how he, I, I think that there's a great potential for the offense to grow by leaps and bounds. And last year it was held back by a lot of things that we've discussed. And some of it was a lack of creativity or the ability to do some things, maximize some player skill sets like McKinnon. But with this year, there is no excuse for the offense to not, to me, at least be in the middle uh, of the league in scoring. They were with Bridgewater in his second year, they were 16th. I feel, and they were 11 and five. I feel like they should be in the same area. If they're yes. not 16th or better, then that's a pretty big disappointment with the amount of talent that they brought in. And Bradford's not we're not being asked by any of us to be dynamic. What we are saying is we need what you need if you are the Vikings. You need Bradford to be able to utilize the dynamic players, right? Yeah. Which is Cook, which is Diggs, which I guess could be Thielen. The point being, Sam Bradford does not need to become a Pro Bowl Hall of Fame type quarterback, but what he does have to do is utilize those around him who have skills. If he does that, they'll be fine. If he doesn't, though, and now all of a sudden, you know, he's afraid to make the throws or he gets conservative on third down, you're in trouble because if you don't get the ball to Delvin Cook, for instance, in those situations, that's where you get in big trouble yourself. Uh, Just shifting gears here to the game that is on Sunday night, which is. the the only preseason game that's really interesting is usually the third one and yes. by, and it's relative really interesting something to watch for i'm going to give you a something to watch for we don't have to go through my entire column uh, that i wrote about the 10 players who can basically solidify a roster spot with a good game mm-hmm. dayton jones and when he plays and how often because i think that this experiment of bringing him in and moving him from linebacker to three technique. I don't think it's gone very well. And there's a chance that Jaleel Johnson and Tom Johnson end yep. up as your two, three techniques because Jaleel Johnson has done after a real for a camp where I thought he was just another guy in the yep. preseason. He's looked really good, especially that last game. And then after having a couple of talks with Jaleel Johnson, I get the idea that he's a pretty bright kid and that he's made some big progress since he got here I think there is a chance because I was just going through the 53 and who's going to be on there that they say, you know what? Dayton Jones has not brought us what we thought he would at that position. So we're Mm -hmm. going to have Tom and Jaleel Johnson be there instead. Help me out here. So they brought in Dayton Jones from the Packers. They also uh, signed the guy from the bears who got cut as well for, for a three technique look, correct? Will Sutton. Yes. Will Sutton. Okay. Who has not gone well at all. Correct? No, he has not stood out one bit. They drafted Jalil Johnson from Iowa thinking that, that he would be a backup nose tackle. But I like the idea. I like this. I think this is smart. I told you at the beginning of training camp, my fear was this. My fear was that the three technique, which is an incredibly important position in this defense, was that we were all going to say, look at the competition. Well, there's a difference between competition and just bodies, right? right. I mean, you could bring in – I'm. Last year, offensive line for the Vikings is the perfect, it's bodies. It's not good competition. You're just throwing a lot of people at the problem. Um, So if you now have a draft pick who is starting to emerge, I like this idea. Develop somebody. Because if you end up keeping, you know, three or four guys, and you're like, we like them all, that's a bunch of BS. That's not true. So if you you found a draft pick who you like, and even if you drafted him initially thinking he'd be a nose, if he can play the three-tech, I am fine with that. 
But what I don't want the Vikings to do is try to convince themselves that it's going to be fine. So I like the proactive nature right now of trying to find a definite solution. And and in Zimmer's defense, uh, no, no pun intended whatsoever right there, but he's probably <laughs> much, much better at identifying that side of the ball yeah. and saying this guy is going to work. Uh, so if they start to say, okay, the veterans we brought in, in here aren't that great, that's good. And what you need to do, what you what I don't want to see them do is take a situational three technique and try and force this. You've got to find a solution there because if you don't, that's a position that if it breaks down is going to be a big deal here. Yeah, I don't think he's a nose either. Nose is a completely Jaleel different. Jaleel Johnson, you mean? Yeah, Jaleel Johnson. Okay. Nose okay. is just a completely different position. Jaleel played three technique in college, and he did in college exactly what you just saw in the preseason game. Like, he just beat guys. He just Good. beat yeah. guards. He knows how to beat guards, and he says he's still working on more moves and things like that, and that's that's great. But he's got a natural ability to beat guys one-on-one and get in the backfield. That's a three-technique sort of spot. And I think Shamar Stefan might end up being your backup nose, and he might be a better fit there where it's just a power position. He can use his strength than he was in the three-technique last year. So you might mm-hmm. decide to keep Stefan as your backup nose and Jaleel Johnson and Tom Johnson as your two three techniques, and then you you don't keep Dayton Jones around because he just really hasn't done anything. I mean, I, I, it's, he was put in a really tough spot. I think it was unfair for him to be asked to put on weight and become a three technique when he had never really done that other than some pass rushing on the inside, which is totally yeah. different from playing that actual full position. Definitely. So maybe unfair. The options out there weren't that great. I know uh, in free agency they weren't that spectacular. And giving Will Sutton a chance was worth it, but he hasn't really stood out at all. I mean, Mm -hmm. this might be set, but again, it will depend on this game. Is that I think that there are a few things that come back to what happens on Sunday. Is now, I, I saw he's, uh, he's doing some work during practices off to the side. Where do things stand with Shreve Floyd? Shreve Floyd's done a lot more than I've ever seen him do on the side. Uh, the other yep. day, they had this big wood. They've got a, like, contraption for everything. It's crazy. They've got a football on a stick. I really mean that. Like, there's a f- oh, I've seen that one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, a, it's a metal yeah. pole, and there's a football at the end. And it I have, be the state fair. Football on a stick. Yeah, I have no idea what it does, but I think it's hilarious that it exists. So they had this big, big-ass wooden thing, and it was just, like, on the ground, and I guess it's used for guys to kind of explode out of their stance, and the wood is where the hands are supposed to go, right? It's just oh. un- unbelievable. But okay. <laughs> anyway, so it, this thing's heavy, heavy as heck, and he was exploding into it out of a stance and pushing it, which I don't know what that really says, but I have not seen him do that before. And so he's hmm. been running more and, and not just kind of off to the side. I don't know if that's a good sign. No one ever gives progress updates on these guys, so we'll, we'll find out. But if he could come back at some point this season, that's a game-changer for the defensive line because even if Jaleel Johnson comes along and Tom Johnson is a veteran and starts there, it's not the same as having this all-around monster talent with uh, Sheree Floyd. So, Absolutely. So, I mean, I, I still wouldn't say that I have any idea where he stands, but there has been some positive signs with uh, what he's been doing. And uh, other than that, Judd, I'm keeping an eye on tight ends because I think Kyle Carter is making this team. 
blocking attributes, I take it, or what? You know, he's not really a blocking tight end. He's always been a pass-catching tight end. In college, he can thank, I think in part, Christian Hackenberg for tanking his college numbers because (laughs) he started out, I'm not kidding, like he started out, he had great potential as a freshman in college, and then his numbers just went down and down and down. And in part, I think it was because their offense became horrid after Bill O'Brien left Penn State. And uh, so he's shown a lot of potential. And I I think right now, for me, he's like a lock to make the team. And it will depend on whether they want a fullback or Bucky Hodges. But I think there's a great chance that Bucky Hodges gets cut and signed to the practice squad. Uh, I mean, anytime you see a guy who was drafted playing at the on the last offensive play of the game, um, yep. you know that that guy is not in great standing. And I think Kyle Carter has done a really good job. Do you recall, Collar, when when Christian Hackenberg was at Penn State with Bill O'Brien, there was talk, I think, going into his last year there, so leading into that season, that we were probably talking about the number one pick in the draft. Bill O'Brien must have been the antidote or the, the cologne to Christian Hackenberg's awfulness or something. I think there's a lot, of, when it comes to those college QBs, man, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors. Like, if you set up a guy right, he could put up big stats, and Hackenberg, it was all about height and arm strength. But, Judd, they played the University of Buffalo Bulls one time. This is Penn State against Buffalo, who just became D1 not that long ago, has never won anything, has made one bowl game. The Gophers opponent in their opener a week from Thursday. Yeah, yes, they are. And they do not have an impressive squad. The Gophers should win that one. But okay, but but this is I'm, I'm, it's a Mac program, and their defense went in. This was after Cleo Mac was there. The, their defense went in and slowed down Hackenberg. To, he looked awful in the game, and it was a close game into the fourth quarter. Like mm-hmm. I, I, when I saw that he was even going to get drafted, I was stunned. So it wouldn't be a surprise if maybe someone like Kyle Carter ends up kind of going under the radar and then you know somebody picks him up because he's got potential that's the the thing with Bucky Hodges and the hype about Bucky Hodges is there are lots of guys that are like him I mean there are lots of guys who are running around with great height and great speed and they can even catch the ball a little but they can't block and they can't get open and they can't be star tight ends in the league so maybe Carter who's also tall and fast has developed here and steps in and plays some sort of role. Now, I mean, they, they're saying positive things about Hodges, but I, I feel like even if he has progressed, he's so far away from being a big-time weapon in this offense that mm-hmm. uh, that it, he'd probably be better off on the practice squad. In retrospect, if his name had been Todd Smith, because, I mean, Bucky Hodges is a great football name. It is. If the Vikings in the sixth round had taken a tight end named Todd Smith, how, how excited would we have gotten about him? Uh, I think the the measurables, the 40 time, I mean, yeah, I think it's always going to be when you have a tight end with big height. Yeah, Bucky, his name's Bucky, that helps. But, like, he's got Bucky highlight. But he's got, he was a wide receiver, basically, in college. So he's sure. he's got like highlight reel catches and you know he's just like dominating these small cornerbacks in college. So yeah, I think that the highlight reel plus the combine and the measurables probably would have put Todd Smith on the radar too, <laughs> but maybe not the same way because I, I feel like there was a ton of interest in Bucky Hodges, and and they kind of cleared the deck for him. I mean maybe I was underestimating Kyle Carter, but. 
David Morgan is a pure blocker, and Carter is a guy who wasn't drafted. And so it's like, all right, well, you have a, a free lane to go win a job, and he hasn't been anywhere close to winning a job. And Does, does Laquan Treadwell play on in Sunday's game? Does Riley Reef play? Who, who do we think we're going to see from those that we've not seen for a while? I think we're seeing everybody. I think we're seeing Latavius. I think we're seeing Laquan. I think we'll see Riley Reef. I I think Mike Zimmer wants to see what this offense is really going to look like for a half. And it was kind of, it was very funny, Judd. You know how, like, if you're so football that you're just in, you know, you got tunnel vision, the players, the coaches, all that stuff. But there was, like, a little bit of a flicker of reality uh, with Sam Bradford the other day when someone asked, like, does it make a difference? Does it, like, really matter in, in your experience? Uh, if you play well in the preseason and your offense looks good, does it really matter to the regular season? And he kind of like stopped for a second of just that it was coming over him, realizing that none of this really matters to him at all. It's just like, yep. you know, <laughs> and he said, he said, well, no, it doesn't matter because some, <laughs> so, so, some years we've been good and the team, the offense was bad. And then some years in the preseason we struggled and then we were fine in the regular season. And, it's like, yep, yep. So playing them for two quarters, I would prefer to see them play no starters in any preseason game. But yep. I think we'll see a lot. And I think we'll, at, if nothing else, as a fan, you can watch and learn who the starting lineup's probably going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think whoever starts that game, and I kind of expect, by the way, Nick Easton to start that game and be the starter for week one. Uh, Interesting. E- even though Elfline has been impressive. Uh, yep. I think Easton has taken some steps forward and is more experienced. And the, the the thing about center, too, guys don't start that often as rookie centers in part because it's just so darn complicated. Mm-hmm. And if the processing speed of defenses is faster with Easton because of his experience and he's a really bright guy, then it makes sense to have Elfline sit and wait. And eventually, I'm sure we'll, we'll see him in games, and I think he's going to be very good. But... I wouldn't be surprised at that, but whatever the off, uh, whatever the offense is, when it trots out there, is what you're going to see against the New Orleans Saints. So that's something to watch for. Excellent. All right. Everything else good, Judd? You good in life? I, you having I fun? Think we're, yeah, uh, fair? yeah well, stay, stay fair just started today. So, uh, you know, about the next eight days or so, I'll, I'll be outside on, on the porch, which is which I actually don't mind. I can sit there in shorts, do the show, talk about sports, talk a lot of football. So if anyone wants with, to come by and get an autograph, they can? Uh, I'd be happy to sign. I'd be happy to sign between the hours of 9 and 1, but then <laughs> at 1 o'clock I'm on that shuttle going back to the station so I can catch the trolley downtown so I can get home. Oh, that's, I, that's you, you don't catch, you don't have some football on a stick before you leave? I love football. That's great. <laughs> I've seen. I know. I know exactly the contraption that you're talking about. The football is <laughs> just the greatest thing ever. Because the then they yank it. Then they yank it away from players, and they're like, oh, "Give me the football back!" And he's like, "No, nope, can't have football back." Oh man, I want so badly a football on a stick. Uh, well, I'm sure just we can get you for one. my backyard. I mowed my new backyard for the first time. Your dog time, would like it. And I was Your thinking, dog would man, love football on a stick. I wish I had a football on a stick for this backyard. Your dog would chase. If you were the football on a stick and, t- and took it outside into your new yard right now, yes. your dog would love that. Your dog would chase football on a stick all over the place. She's, she's got elite speed, too, so she'd catch it. Good hips, I hear. <laughs> all right, Judd, goodbye. Talk to you later. Thank Bye. you all for listening to another episode of the Pro Podcast. Pop quiz. What can you buy for $3.99?
Not a latte, but for less than the cost of a cup of coffee, you can get all your favorite music ad-free. While other streaming services jack up their prices, LiveOne's membership is only $3.99 per month, and you can lock in that price for a full year. Join now to get the best deal in music with zero ads, unlimited skips, and maximum audio quality. Get the music you love at a price that fits into your budget with LiveOne Plus. Check out liveone.com slash bestmusic for details. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.